Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they show it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted. By Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What's up, everybody? Happy Wednesday night. We are back with a live edition of the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Perino, joined as always by my main man, Ryan Talbot. And we're, we're in this kind of weird transitional period because usually we would have already been well into off-season content mode. And, you know, free agent uh, targets would have already been published. I was going back through my stories from last year, and Ryan, and a lot of my um, free agent stuff had already started before the playoffs were even over. And so now it's all about playing catch-up, not only, you know, starting to get out some of the content, but also kind of getting uh, up to speed with the, the available options. And I got to say – we're not going to get too much into it tonight on this episode in terms of possible free agent targets. We're going to spend the next few weeks doing that. But as I start to you know dabble, it's it's really interesting stuff. I think there's some real fun, interesting possibilities for the Bills that are already going to be free agents and maybe potentially becoming free agents. But hey, let's not get ahead of ourselves. This is the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets your neighborhood store with more. We're going to be with you here tonight for about an hour, and it's pretty wide open, Ryan, right? We're, we got a couple things we want to hit on, but we want to hear from some fans tonight. We want to, we want to uh, have some participation, if you will. Yeah, those of you in the comments section, you know, shoot us any questions over, uh, maybe something you've seen somewhere else, maybe some articles you've read recently. You know, we're open to answer your questions tonight. Uh, if you are joining us on our new YouTube channel, make sure you hit that subscribe button. And then if you listen back to us on the audio platforms, rate, subscribe, and review. Yeah, we uh, we got some some fun commenters already uh, starting to fill the chat room. Uh, Brian, uh, thank you for joining us. Elliot, uh, who's always a, a regular participant, and uh, Darren, uh, what's up, my friend? Uh, it's this will be a fun show because I have a couple ideas of kind of things I want to get into first and foremost, kind of pinpointing the, um, the points of emphasis or the priorities, if you will, for this bill's front office and, and, and 
organization going into a really important offseason. And one of the big takeaways that, you know, I've taken from the last three, four weeks here is something that Sean McDermott said, you know, when kind of putting the season into perspective. And he said, listen, the Chiefs were the better team. We have some ways to go to to uh, be able to compete with them on this stage. But they are in year eight with Andy Reid. They are in year, um, you know, four technically with Patrick Mahomes, three as a, as a player. You know, they're already deep within their, you know, team build and kind of their identity with who they are. And a lot of what happens year to year with them and a lot of other teams is just the tweaking, the roster tweaking that needs to be done. And I think that there are some things that the Bills have to do, but, you know, I think that there's some prioritiz- prioritization that needs to happen this this year, but I don't think the Bills are necessarily as far away from you know that Super Bowl um, caliber team franchise roster that I think a lot of fans in the aftermath of the of the disappointment maybe felt like they were. No, I agree with that completely. You know, at the end of the day, they they had a bad game plan. They they went into that game with a bad game plan, especially on defense where. It seemed like Tyree Kill could do whatever he wanted. Travis Kelsey could do whatever he wanted. But if you look at this roster top to bottom, if you if you look across the league, this is a well-built roster. There There's a decent mix of veterans and youth. And, and there might be a little bit too much youth in some areas where maybe they need a little bit more of that veteran presence, someone that can step up. Uh, but o- overall, this roster is not far off. They're not far away. Um, and obviously it's going to be an interesting offseason. Obviously, we, you know, we said we're not going to get too far into it, but the cap's going to make it one of the most interesting offseasons in recent memory because a lot of good players are going to probably be let go uh, just because the teams have to get under the cap. And some of these bloated, inflated salaries, if the player wasn't living up to expectations, they might hit the market. And this could be actually be a blessing in disguise for Buffalo where Brendan Bean comes along and says, listen, next year the cap might be back to normal or, you know, something close to normal. Why don't you join us for one year, re- you know, get your stock back up there, and we can get closer to bridging that gap and, and forming that Super Bowl team. We're going to get into some Super Bowl takeaways and just our thoughts from the game. I mean, we covered this the team in this league for a living and the biggest game in that league happened uh, on Sunday. So we'll definitely have some takeaways from that. But before we get to that, I wanted to kind of set the stage for, you know, this off season as we move forward into, you know, the, the build up to free agency and then obviously a, an ultra important NFL draft. I mean, this draft I think is going to, you know, for all intents and purposes, you look through, start looking at mock drafts. Ryan put out his first today. We'll, we'll dabble into that a little bit. And, you know, some of the, you know, the big time draft folks have started to trickle out their, their mock drafts. Uh, Tom McShay put one out today. And I believe, uh, did Mel Kuyper already have one? I believe he did already have yeah, one. This he already draft. had one. And so, you know, there, there's some areas on this football team that I think need to be addressed. And I, and one of those areas that we both agreed upon when we started sending back text today mm-hmm. is that edge rusher position, because one other thing that Sean McDermott said in his, his season ending press conference was that that position, I actually asked him this question that the defensive line is one position group that is critical for the bills to improve on this off season. And I couldn't agree more. And I think that, if you take a wide lens at that group, right, and you think, 
okay, you didn't get a lot of uh, production off the edge this year in terms of sacks. I mean, your two top sack getters, Mario Addison at five, which he's been averaging closer to 10 the last couple of years. So that was a little bit of a disappointment. And then AJ Klein, who we're going to get into AJ Klein a little bit tonight. I mean, that guy, he turned himself into quite the asset for this defense, especially with all the, the turmoil this season. I mean, you'll go back and through the whole body of work. And I, I was looking through some, some numbers today and uh, happened to, to get on the pro football focus. And he was the top rated linebacker the bills had in coverage this year over the course of the 16 game schedule, obviously played double the amount of snaps that Matt Milano did. And, and, and he still had that uh, higher grade according to PFF, which I think is pretty significant. So when we get into that conversation about Milano and his importance, which I do think is important. And I think we, we also saw in this game, what uh, the Super Bowl game, how important linebackers, good linebackers, fast, quick linebackers can be at stopping some of the top tier offenses. You know, I will get into the, the Matt Milano conversation, but that's a huge piece of this is, is the depth that you kind of have at a lot of different positions. I don't see there necessarily being the kind of depth on the defensive line where you can feel confident. You need to make a move there. And two teams in particular that I thought kind of set the stage going into this season were what the Chiefs did and the 49ers did last year when they added uh, uh, D, D Ford and uh, Frank Clark. Obviously, Frank Clark, Bills fans know how, how important he was a couple weeks ago. But the Bills need to find a way to add that kind of player. And with all the money that currently exists on that defensive line and without that you know, go-to force that when the playoffs comes around, you know that he's going to be a guy that even when he's a focus of a team, and I think there's there's a lot baked into that. I mean, you look at those two defensive lines, and you know, Nick Bosa was a big player on that defensive line last year, had a big impact, and I think him and Chris, uh, or and him and um, D Ford, uh, who I don't think even lived up to necessarily um, the hopes that they had for him, but they had depth across that line, playmakers across that line, and that makes things easier for everybody. So when you talk about the development of Ed Oliver, I'm rambling on and on and on here, but there's a lot that goes into you know, what's going to happen on this defensive line. And I think one big piece could be the key. Yeah. And I, and I agree completely with that. And first and foremost, shout out to Cody Thomas in the comments. I see him venting about the pass rush and, and Buffalo needing that. And don't bring up the fact that Kansas city was, was without their offensive tackles. That does factor into it though, Cody, not having those offensive tackles, but for the past two Super Bowls, getting pressure, getting home, it, it played a factor in about seven of, or of eight of those quarters in the Super Bowl. Obviously, fourth quarter last year, Mahomes came on and, and helped lead the Chiefs to a Super Bowl. So I, I agree completely. You know, one thing I will point out is I think it was Sal, uh, Sal Capasio that said it is, is this defensive line is built on chemistry, experience, playing together. And they didn't get that with the no offseason, uh, not having the time together in the camp. And, and in a second year together, they'll, they'd probably be better. That said, there's some bloated salaries there that you probably have to part ways with. Uh, you look at a guy like Vernon Butler, it didn't show up enough there, for me at least personally. Uh, we mentioned Mario Addison. Mario Addison is a locker room leader. He is still a good player, but for the money that they are paying him, you could probably get younger and find someone at a similar pay rate. And I think that's what's something else you have to do. You have to start getting a little bit younger there because even if you kept Addison around and he had a great year next year, you're going to be in the same boat then in, in 2022 because he's He's up there in age. His best days are behind him. So maybe this is the time you cut ties with him. 
you replace him. I have a few people in mind. Uh, and then going back to Ed Oliver, I think the, the addition of Star Latulale, as long as he returns, is going to be huge for Ed Oliver. I, I watched a lot of Ed Oliver after uh, I saw more and more complaints week in, week out, and he was pushing the pocket. He was moving mm-hmm. guys back. Uh, there were some issues where he just wasn't finishing plays, but there were also times where he was the guy that jumped off the page. He was the one making the play. If he has someone next to him to take on those offensive linemen, I think then he can become more of a finisher. So, you know, experience will help getting guys in there for another year. AJ Epineza, uh really flashed as the year went on. I, I think the, the weight loss for him, it, it increases speed, his burst a little bit. So I think you're going to get more from him in year two. I still think Jerry Hughes is an effective player, but you're right. There's at least one more piece that needs to be added, and maybe two pieces. Maybe one via free agency uh, where you shell out some money and then someone in the mid-rounds of the draft. You know, Jerry Hughes is still a very productive player, but, you know, you mention age and you really start to shine a light on what they could potentially do in terms of moving money around. And I think that that's where Jerry, I, I don't think he's a cut candidate and I'm actually going to be putting out something on that in the next couple of days, but I do think he's a restru- um, a major restructure candidate. And he's a guy that tasted the success after so many years in Buffalo mm-hmm. of absolute just mediocrity. And so I think understanding that he's probably, you know, reaching the, the latter part of his career, he's a guy that I think the bills can go to and say, listen, we're kind of in a pinch here. Let's restructure, move some of this down the line. I, I know that it, you know it's probably not in the best interest of him to walk away from dollars per se, but if they can kind of come to an agreement and, and move some money around, I think they're probably going to move on from Mario Addison. Uh, shout out to you. Uh, I think you said that on the Patrick uh, Moran podcast, Talking Buffalo. Great uh, segment there uh, with, with Ryan. Go check that out if you haven't. Our guy, uh, Pat Moran, the old Matt Moranalytics podcast. Um, I'm still getting used to talking Buffalo, but, uh, it was a great, uh, interview and, you know, and I think that then you have Vernon Butler and Quentin Jefferson. I mean, I saw Quentin Jefferson post on his IG. It looked like he was packing up all of his stuff and moving out of Buffalo. And I kind of got to thinking like, yeah, that might be the, that might be for good because I like the kind of thing, the kinds of things that Quentin Jefferson brings the versatility, but I just thought for a guy that, you know, that pass rush win rate was so heavily uh, fo- a focus when they when they signed him and his his limited uh, work with, with a larger sample size. The production just wasn't there at the same level. And I thought that, you know, you look at some of the possibilities out there. I know we talked about Dalvin Tomlinson uh, from, from the Giants and how he could be somebody that could come in here and kind of f- play two different roles. I mean, he can kind of take on double teams and he can cause some pressure back there. I know Star is not a guy that's going to do that necessarily, but I think we're also we haven't heard definitively if Star Latula is coming back. It seemed like um, Brandon Bean, Bean was kind of alluding to the fact that they believe he is, but until that's official, uh, I, I mean. It, We'll see. We'll see what happens there. He'd be leaving a lot of money on the table, so I would imagine he he would come back with that almost. It's fully guaranteed season. I mean, it's more debt money t- uh, in dead cap than it is with regular cap. So, you know, I think that that edge position is where I would focus my attention. But if you can make a move, and I got some fun ideas, that, and you'll see it in this in the story next week, um, on the interior, I still think that there's work that can be done there as well. And I think it's a valid argument. And in terms of Scarlett Tulloy, the only argument I would make for him possibly staying away from football is his age, the money that he's already made in this league, and the fact that, hey, I didn't go through that wear and tear on my body. 
I know there wasn't a true training camp. I know, you know, a typical off season, but that's going to creep up here pretty soon. It, it happens before you know it, where, you, where all of a sudden you're, you're back to playing football, you're back in camp. And after having a whole year off where you, you're not taking any of those hits, those bumps, those bruises, you might say, there's plenty of money in the bank for me to live on for the rest of my life, the rest of my family's life. Do I need to come back? Now, the counterpoint would be, boy, look how close Buffalo was to the Super Bowl. I could help them take that next step, especially up front where they had some issues stopping the run, where they were they were having trouble getting after the quarterback. Not that that's his role, what something he can do, but he frees up at Oliver. He helps the linebackers out. Uh, so I think that, that you know there's a point counterpoint there, but it wouldn't shock me if he did stay away. Yeah, and a couple questions here uh, in the comments, and we're going to bring you guys along as we go. First of all, um, rest in peace, Therese Paler. Uh, what an absolutely stunning, just awful, awful news after the Super Bowl. We had um, Therese on a couple weeks ago to preview the Kansas City game, and honestly, pound for pound, probably the best analyst interview that we've ever had. Um, the dude, the respect the love and adoration that's flowed this week um, after that news broke. I mean, just goes to show you what he meant to this community and what, you know, what a loss it is 37 years old and just absolutely gutted for his family. And, you know, everybody that, you know, he, everybody that knew him loved him. And it, I, I've never met him in person. I, I think we briefly met in Buffalo, uh, um, to, like uh, not this past season, but the year before, uh, just exchanged some very general pleasantries. He was in town for a day doing a story. And so as the national guys some and ladies sometimes do, it's in and out. And he was just absolutely just, you could see him bouncing around the energy in the locker room, the way that he approached players. Uh, he was just an inspirational dude. And it's just a sad, sad thing that happened. Yeah. The, the knowledge, the passion that he brought just to our podcast, you could, you could just see how knowledgeable he was on the game, how much he loved it, how much he lived for it. Uh, like you said, heartbroken for his fiance, his family, his loved ones gone far too soon. Uh, like you said, he had just released a podcast within like the last 24 hours beforehand and just brilliant on his own podcast. Just, just a, a wonderful person gone far too soon. Yeah. Super bummer. Um, but I don't think there are many people that I've ever met that love football as much as that that gentleman. Uh, he, you could just tell the passion that he had for everybody that's talking about him, the stories that have come out in the in, in the aftermath. So uh, you know, he'd appreciate us uh, getting back into business and doing our best to, um, you know, talk some ball here tonight. Uh, he'll he'll be missed for sure. Um, Larry um, had a couple comments here as well. Uh, that I wanted to get Facebook, a little, little, some action on Facebook here tonight, um, which I like. Did you see what that was? Um, oh, no, it was Steven that I saw. Salary cap has to be set before any tough decisions can be made. And then um, when it, when will that be was another question. And we don't know. It looks like Adam Schefter reported recently that it's looking like the next um, – uh, it's going to land about 80, 85 million. I think maybe closer to 80, which – is a huge development because I, th I think even just that 5 million wiggle room uh, is a big deal for the bills. And, and that'll be something that I think that, you know, with some of these movable contracts and we'll, we'll talk a lot about John Brown over the next couple of weeks. And I, I got to say, I'm, I'm definitely more so on board with the idea of moving on than I ever have before. Obviously there was a little bit of a, 
you know, a blip this week with John Brown uh, appearing to reply to an Instagram post about we'll see what happens and kind of the uncertainty around that. But um, there's a lot of move movable money, which I think, again, goes into the whole idea of the job that Brandon Bean has done, you know, executive of the year, obviously, for for obvious reasons with the success the Bills had. But the way that he structured the contracts, the the free agent deals and and, and, and try to build through the draft. And, and and I think there's more work that needs to be done for all three of these draft class now. Two or was it two, three, three, yeah. three draft class. And so we'll see how that transpires into next season. But I think there was, you know, in terms of, you know, how a lot of these free agent moves have, have been made, very smart um, roster building. Yeah, I actually usually love the way he builds those contracts. A lot of the times there's a, a way out of them after one year, maybe two years. Uh, movable money, as you mentioned, you can restructure some of these deals if you have to. Um, so he is very smart about building the contracts. You might look at it at first. You might get the overall money be like, oh, wow, that, that's you know a good amount for this player. And then you look and say, oh, you can get out of that pretty easily after year one or year two. You saw how he took. Tyler Croft, he had a three-year deal. He turned it into a two. Now Croft is a free agent at the end of the year. Uh, was Probably is not a player that will be back. So he, he can maneuver around that. There's going to be some restructures. There's probably going to be some tough cuts that are made. Uh, but you're right. Just even going up to $180 million is going to be a, uh, a help for Buffalo. There was a time where uh, it was I want to say it was a Giants player. I want to say it was a union rep. They talked about 188, and if it actually got up to 188, boy, that would have really been good for Buffalo and a lot of other teams. Uh, but it, but with, when Adam Schefter reports 180, 181, that's probably where it's going to settle around uh, based on you know his track record and how accurate he is. Uh, looking into the comments here, will there be another opt-out season? It's a good question. We don't know the answer to that either. I would guess no. Uh, I would think that they're they're going to kind of uh, look into getting the vaccine. They're going to see that the, the success rate that they had overall this season. You know, think about this. They played a full regular season. They played the playoffs, everything else. And, and their COVID numbers, their outbreaks, yeah, there were a few. There were absolutely a few cases with teams that, that took off and they had to rearrange some things. But in the grand scheme of things, compared to some of these other leagues, looking at what's happening in the NHL right now, for instance, they got through this pretty well. So now if there's a vaccine in play and you can get it to the players, I'm not sure they would get, they would offer that opt-out once again. What, what do you think, Matt? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm kind of there with you. Uh, I think that uh, they proved that even throughout this whole circumstance, I mean, they didn't, they didn't miss a game. Obviously there was some, some really unfortunate circumstances around some of the games and the way that they were played. I mean, the bills had a gripe with the Tennessee situation earlier this season, but the fact that, I mean, anybody you listen to and just the, the collective effort that the NFL made. I think anybody that had reservations about this going into the season, I mean, we even talked to Tredavious White and at the end of the year about some of those apprehensions that he had going into the year and, you know, maybe the concerns about his family and, and, and some of the, 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 the effects that he saw COVID have, you know, in his personal life. And I think that the way that the teams have handled it, especially the bills, like, you know, they took it super serious. I mean, to, to get to to have to go through the entire playoff run there of three weeks and not have one COVID positive test. I mean, that's that's that really shows the buy in that everybody had. And I think whatever I mean, the, the game means a lot to everybody. Fan, you know, fans love the game. It means a lot to them, but it, it means just as much to these players. And, you know, they 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 
kind of had a dedication to it. So I think that will also speak to the people that opted out. And I think it was even uh, somebody in the Patriots organization, I can't remember the report, said that they uh, one of the McCourty twins expects all of the guys that opted out on defense to return next season. So, you know, I think that there'll, there'll be a lot. I think a lot of, I think a lot of guys where there might be some, you know, some people that for whatever their circumstances is made it through the whole season. And, and that's just how it needed to be. I bet you there are some cases where you watch it go on, especially for the teams that had successful seasons. And it's like, it, you wonder how many of them were kind of just like, man, I'm missing it. So uh, I think that, you know, that'll all take care of itself within the players union and, and all that kind of stuff um, as we move, move through the off season. Um, but yeah, it's tough, right? I mean, it's tough to, it's tough going through this, not knowing the parameters of it all. And that's what makes this off season. So, you know, odd, I think the one point that I, I want to keep making sure that I get across is that the draft is going to take on uh, a level of importance that it, it, it just hasn't in the past couple of years because of the work that Brandon's done in free agency, especially in 2019. I just don't see that possibility. Like, so you see PFF put out its top 150 uh, free agents. Uh, we're going to put out our top 50 free agents, uh, but with a bill slant to it because, you know, Dak Prescott's not going to be on the list and, you know, certain players are not going to be on the list. Um, but a couple, some of the targets that, that they have, that they, their predictions, if you will, Richard Sherman, cool idea. I'm not so sure that that's the direction that this, defense wants to go in terms of getting older at that position. They tried it out with Josh Norman. I thought he he played fine. I thought he was a nice kind of piece, but I think they want to get younger there. They have an interesting piece in Dane Jackson. I think that there's some talent in this draft to potentially bring in somebody and get faster at that position. I think you really want to get faster at a couple spots. And I, I think if you can get a young linebacker, if you can get a young cornerback and get faster on the defensive line and more, you know, powerful, I mean, I know these are all cliches and it's, it's easy to say that. Um, but I think that that's, that's kind of important. What was this, the second position that you brought up? Uh, we talked a little bit about Dawson Knox last year yeah. or last week. Uh, you think that the bills second position of need is tight end. Yeah, I think they need to add a veteran into the mix. And I know that there's some uh, draft targets. I've seen some mock drafts floating around where the Bills add uh, Brevin Jordan. And uh, obviously, they're not going to get Pitts in, in the draft that as a top 10 pick. But th there are some people that are saying, let's attack it. Let's get another young tight end in this draft class. And that's fine. And, and maybe that is the route that they go. But I still think that they like Dawson Knox. They like the traits. They like what he that what he could bring to the party. Uh, Joe Marino talked about it last week on the show. He said you draft him for the traits, and in terms of athleticism, he's probably top five, top ten in, in the NFL at the position. So it's just about putting it all together. And, and I understand the frustration through two years you haven't seen that yet. But he was at a college where he was not utilized. When he came into the pros, again, Buffalo took him on day two of the draft, and it had to do a lot to do with the overall athleticism and what he could be. So now in year three, just like year three for most players, it's going to be a big year for him. He has to prove himself. But I'm not saying go out and get a, a first, second-round tight end. Get someone that's going to be here for the short term. Uh, we, we've talked on this podcast about Kyle Rudolph. We've talked a little bit about how they tried to get Greg Olson last year. Uh, Zach Ertz could be someone that becomes available. And I don't know if they even go that big. Um, I don't know why I thought Gerald Everett was in the league so long, but he really isn't. He, he's still a relatively young guy. I just feel like I've watched him for many years. A guy like Gerald Everett for a few years could be a great compliment to Dawson Knox. Um, 
Dan Arnold in Arizona coming off of his best season, someone that hasn't been, again, maybe utilized as much in, in Arizona as he could have been. But I thought he flashed in. His stat line was pretty solid there. So I think you can get a someone in the free agent market that's not going to break the bank. I've seen a lot of fans clamoring for John New Smith. I would love John New Smith in Buffalo. I think he's extremely talented. But what's the price tag there? I think he is maybe you know the best of the best in that uh, position in terms of the players that will be available right now. So if his price tag is not as high as I'm anticipating, yeah, give him a look too. Get someone that can be on the field along with Dawson Knox that he can learn from, but not some. You don't have to go into the draft and look for Dawson, Dawson Knox's replacement just yet. So as of right now, I'm I'm not on the Johnny Smith train, and I know it's a it's a popular name, and I think you know he's had some moments of production, and and maybe in the right offense, maybe even in this Bills offense, he becomes a playmaker and a, a really upper echelon tight end. But I think it's a bit of a gamble, and I think it's a gamble for a couple of reasons. Number one, I don't think that we've seen sustained production from him, making it worth what his ultimate price tag is going to be in a cap-impacted uh, cap, um, offseason. Um, you got to really make sure that your dollars that you're spending, they're smart dollars. I mean, you're in a position now where, of course, you want to add talent. And I was listening to Bucky Brooks um, on the NFL. Uh, he does his um, uh, the NFL.com show with Daniel Jeremiah. And, you know, he's they mentioned the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who we're going to talk about after the break, uh, a little bit in detail from that Super Bowl. And he said what they did in the offseason was they made play. They added playmakers. They added weapons. They added bullets. And you want to get better on offense, right? You want to add more players that can make plays. But the problem is and, – and, and there's – there's segments to this. There's it's a nuanced conversation. You are a wide receiver centric team. We talked about this with Joe Marino last week. So if you want to maybe um, add a running back, or you want to you know put another put a different focus on the running game, and like Brandon Bean said said maybe not run more but run better. Well, you run better and you're probably going to just naturally run a little bit more, right? If it's working more consistently, you're going to use it more consistently, I think. So you got that piece of it working. You have Stefan Diggs back. You have Cole Beasley back. And that's a big chunk of where your targets go. And so if Dawson Knox is going to still be in the mix, and if you're talking about potential 12 personnel packages with two tight ends on the field, how much are you using that? How much are you expecting production in that? And then I think that that kind of dictates where you go in the offseason with your resources. And I just think over the years, we've always picked these kind of, and that's one thing that I've learned since I've gotten to the beat and covering the NFL, is you always kind of get these sexy names that, you know, I think the year one it was uh, that I was here was Matt Paradis. Remember, everybody wanted Matt Paradis. They needed a center. They ended up getting Mitch Morse, who at the time felt like a notch down, but I'd probably argue that Mitch Morse has probably been the better for, better acquisition when you're comparing him to Paradise. I know he's had some injury issues. Um, and then last offseason, I think a lot of people wanted Jadavian Clowney and, you know, some other players that were out there. And it's and this year, I think, like, sneaky, it's kind of becoming Jonu Smith a little bit. It's funny, AJ, AJ Green's probably going to be available in free agency, and he's been a, <laughs> uh, a guy that Bill's Mafia's loved for a long time. But I think that's just more of my thinking is if you were going to spend that kind of resources, say $8 million, I'd rather use that in, a, in an attempt – to maybe go after somebody that might be maybe 13 or 14 million and and they're going to immediately come in and impact your defensive line. That's just to me I kind of veer back towards priority 1 in my book. 
No, I, I think that's a great argument to be had because you said it well. How often are you going to use these guys? How how often are you going to use a running back? I saw some fans climbing for Aaron Jones, for instance. I don't see that as a fit. He, he's going to get big money. He's going to be a focal point for some team. It just doesn't make sense for it to be the Bills, in my opinion. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. Um, some of these big-name tight ends. Uh, the, you know, That's why I mentioned Kyle Rudolph, and I see a lot of comments in here about how he's still on the, on the Vikings. And, yes, he is, but he's also come out and said publicly – I, I feel I'm worth every penny of my contract. I'm not taking a pay cut. So it seems like things are going to come to a head there. But like you said, if you can get one impact player at possibly your biggest area of need, which we both agreed is the edge, coming off the edge, getting after the quarterback, then allocate that money there so that way you have one difference maker. Because if you have a difference maker and Jerry Hughes, I saw someone saying Jerry Hughes isn't a starter anymore. He's he's very much a starter still, but he shouldn't be the guy. If you have the guy and Jerry Hughes, they can do a lot of damage. And then you have Starla Tule and, and Oliver, and then you have some of that depth that rotates in there. So, you know, give it some time. But, yeah, I agree completely with you. Get that other person that can be a game changer opposite of Jerry Hughes. Uh Cool question here that I'll bring into the chat uh, from Lone Wolf. I've, I've heard some podcasters say Duke Duke Williams, he means, um, switch to tight end role. I think that's absurd. What do you what do you guys think? So Brian Dable is a very creative guy that likes to tinker a little bit with, with things. I mean, obviously, they've used uh, Isaiah McKenzie in, in tons of different roles, and they've been pretty creative with how they, you know, going into the season without a fullback after this has been a fullback-dependent offense for a couple of years. You know, that, that, that takes, you know, some, some courage and to trust your tight ends to kind of play that role when you, when you go to that. Now, obviously they saw the writing on the wall and that this needed to be a passing offense and it's been very successful, but I just think that we've probably passed the point where if Duke Williams was going to get a, a little run at tight end, it probably would have happened already. Um, he's a great locker room guy. And listen, if they move on from John Brown, Duke Williams is going to have a really fun training camp and, and a guy to watch. I know, I know it's, you know, Jake Kumaro's in the, in the mix and I, 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 I've become a pretty big fan of his, not only for what he was able to do. I, I think that what I've heard from, from around the league about him, Aaron Rodgers, most notably, but you know, some other guys as well, it seems like he's a guy that immediately kind of like became popular in the room guys like him they like his work ethic they they rewarded him pretty pretty early and he took full advantage of that so he's a guy that could be in a, in the mix as well i think there's a lot of challenges that await um some of these depth pieces even more so next year with with roles maybe a little bit more clear with Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley together at the second year of the offense Gabriel Davis likely taking that wide re receiver to mantle or maybe they do restructure John Brown or don't do anything and bring him back. We'll see how that transpires. But I think there's a lot more, um, you know, security for all of the players within this offense in terms of their role, at least in the passing game. Yeah, I agree with that. And going back to the original question, I don't see it with Duke. Um, you, you kind of said it. We've already, uh, I think we would have heard some things. I think there would have been not like some kind of public announcement, but you would have seen him out there with the tight ends at some point at a practice. They're not going to keep that as some kind of secret weapon under wraps here. Uh, it would be, hey, we're going to move him over. You know, I, I know a lot of people saw the success that Logan Thomas had this season in Washington, and, and it was great awesome. story. Yeah, great story. Great for him. He was, you know, former Bills player. Um, great to see him develop, and but it took time. It took a long time, and I don't know if they have that kind of time 
to develop Duke and then expect him to actually be a difference maker for this team. Well, there's a couple Sweeney stands in this podcast, Stephen. So, uh, yeah, we do have some high hopes still for Tommy Sweeney, who unfortunately missed this year. He kind of started off the year with an injury, ended up getting COVID, had had some reaction to that, um, the the heart situation that was going on there. So hopefully he gets 100% healthy and gets back in the mix. He'll be fun to watch in training camp as well. All right, this has been awesome. We're going to keep it going. We're going to talk about the Super Bowl a little bit, some, some takeaways from that uh, right after this break. Ready for football? Tops is with ready-to-serve fan favorites everyone will cheer for. Delicious family or party packs like pizza, sliders, fried chicken, barbecue, or beef on whack. Starting at only $4 per serving. Perfect for game day and any day. Only at Tops. What a great season it's been on the podcast, Ryan. And Tops Friendly Markets has been an awesome uh, game day sponsor uh, or podcast sponsor. I've, I've hit them up on plenty of game days uh, at home here. Uh, covering the season uh, in my living room for all the away games. And um, I, I love it. I got one really close to my house. And uh, if, if you guys are Tops fans, any Tops fans out there, uh, send, send me some DMs with uh, with your favorite Tops items. Uh, love, love to give them some feedback. Um, so as we move through this thing here, Super Bowl 55 was – it was interesting. Like I feel like there there wasn't a lot of – you know, hype around it from the sense that I think people were are, are a little bit tired of obviously Tom Brady, but also, you know, even the Patrick Mahomes, Kansas City storyline. I felt like despite having this great kind of goat versus potential future goat matchup, it, it never really seemed to take off. And um, who knows why? Maybe, you know, people wanted some, you know, fresh blood in there or however the case may be. But the game itself was was super interesting because I feel like, and I and I tweeted it out as we were watching, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were able to effectively do to the Kansas City offense, which I don't know if anybody thought this could be done, what the Kansas City defense did to the Bills offense in the AFC title game. And they, they generated just unbelievable pressure. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the defensive line in this chat or in this uh, podcast. Dude, if you want to see the blueprint for how to get impact quarterbacks you go put on the tape from that super bowl game and watch guys like you know jason pierre paul um shaq barrett uh vita vea um indomitong sue and then obviously those two linebackers but you know they're they kind of showed what i think bills fans should have some hope for what this defense can be become and how it can kind of be created because that blueprint's there i mean all of that talent like listen there's a lot of homegrown dudes there I mean, you look at Levante David and Devin White. I mean, that's right off the bat, two draft picks, you know. Uh, but, you know, in the Bills, they have Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds. And, you know, while I understand, and we're going to get into this a little bit more, and I want to kind of house this, I want to talk about the Super Bowl too, but I tweeted about it. You know, Tremaine Edmonds is 22 years old. Matt Milano is in his fourth season. And I think a guy like Levante David uh, – Former All-Pro has had a lot of t- uh, of time in this league, over 9,000 snaps as you look at into to his uh, stat history. Um, they've had time to kind of build. And Dominic Su has been in this league a long time, uh, as has um, um, Jason Pierre-Paul. Pierre there are great players on that defense, and I think that if you can add in the front seven the way that they have, particularly in the front four and generate that kind of pressure, that's when you're going to have success against Patrick Mahomes. Duh, I yeah. guess, but yep. That that's, <laughs> that is the blueprint though, as you mentioned 
Uh, and it's funny because during uh, probably closer to the end of the game, someone said, you know, Todd Bowles could probably have his choice of any head coaching job next year before Eric Bieniemy. And who thought we'd be sitting here saying that? But it's kind of true because I, I know you need the talent up front. It wasn't just Todd Bowles scheming things up and he had this group of nobodies. He had a lot of talented players at his disposal. But there's going to be teams that say, hey, listen, the Chiefs are going to be that team that's going to be in the the Super Bowl picture for the next decade. You know, as great as the Tampa Bay story is, they're old at a lot of positions, namely, obviously, quarterback. So this is a fun run for them. They could be back next year as well, but it's a short-term deal unless they get that heir apparent into the system here pretty soon. You want someone that, that has had success against Patrick Mahomes, and that's Todd Bowles. He, he utilized his talent. He forced that pressure right from snap one. You saw Patrick Mahomes running for his life. And, and you know, it, I know a lot of uh, some fans kind of get sick of the Josh Allen and the Patrick Mahomes comparisons. But some of those plays that Mahomes made, even though they were incomplete passes, all I saw was people gushing about them and loving up the plays and this, that, and the other. And, and we've seen similar things from Josh Allen where he, he – pulls a Houdini act and he makes something happen. Whether it ends up incomplete, he doesn't take a sack. He, he makes something out of nothing. But if he, if he forced some of those throws like Mahomes did, we would have never heard the end of them. So one person, and it wasn't anyone that was verified or anyone in, in, uh, in the media, but they said, oh, you know, Patrick Mahomes probably was the closest the players come on a losing team to being the Super Bowl MVP. And I was just thinking, man, I don't know how many drinks that guy had at the Super Bowl, but he, he must have he must have had Tom Brady level drinks as we saw Tom Brady today stumbling off the boat because nowhere near that level of play. If Josh Allen had that stat line in the Super Bowl, he would have been crucified the next day. So it, it's just one of those things where some players get all the loves, and I know I'm going off tangent here, and some can do no right, but Todd Bowles won came up with a great game plan Two, those veterans helped him execute the game plan. So going back to your point, experience matters. So Tremaine Edmonds, I don't want to use his age as the crutch anymore after this upcoming season, because he'll be in the NFL long enough now where he should be comfortable, especially being with the same defensive coordinator this whole time. Uh, but it, it does matter. It is a big deal that there's such a, a huge difference in snap counts with some of these players. The bills had some young guys, uh, in depth roles that we're seeing more playing time than a lot of these uh, players on the defensive line for the Buccaneers. So it, it all matters at the end of the day. Yeah. And, you know, the Tremaine conversation is one that, you know, I went back and, and listened to Brandon and, and Sean uh, on the two of those, uh, or on him and Ed Oliver, but, you know, specifically speaking on Tremaine Edmonds, who's a year further along, you go and watch the Kansas City game, and some of my takeaways, and again, never played football, never was a football coach. And so this is this is coming from I'd love to get Lorenzo Alexander on the show sometime this offseason and you know, really dive into this with him and get his kind of reactions to these kinds of um observations. You know, you watch a guy like Devin White, who's younger than or um who's uh had less time in the league, or did yeah, he came in a year after Edmonds. Um and this, the speed at which he plays. And listen, it's kind of a rare skill. I mean, if you had, a, you know, four or five or six or seven of those guys running around the league, I, I, I guess that, you know, there'd be a lot more better defenses. But the thing that kind of stands out to me about Edmonds is that there seems to be a lack of 
you know, Sean said he, he plays, he noticed an improvement in his intensity. That's what he, he mentioned. And also his leadership. Well, I think that at this point, you want to start seeing that next kind of level of recognition and reaction out there because a lot of times, especially in that Kansas City game, I thought that that's where the lapses in coverage came, just a little bit late to react and a little bit late to the spot. And for the kind of quickness that he has, you know, I don't think that that that's something you want to continue into year four. Now, you mentioned other guys around him. You get Star Tulele back. You bolster that defensive line. That changes everything for these linebackers. And I think a lot of the success that Levante David had and, and Devin White had, you can kind of attribute to the fact that they had four beasts playing in front of them. And, you know, they played a bit different defense. I mean, they played mostly a 3-4 defense. Their, their edge rushers kind of, you know, stand up. They line up. They do different things. They move in and out. You know, the Bills don't do a lot of that. They're very traditional in their 4-3 four, uh, four, nickel uh, defense that they run. Uh, we didn't see a lot of the 4-3 uh, traditional package this year. But I think that what you can do is you find a way to bring Matt Bellano back. You get one more year where you really get a chance to look at these two together, hopefully for if you're a Bills fan with a better defensive line in front of them. And maybe that's when you can start to see, you know, maybe that guy that we saw at the end of last year in terms of Edmonds and the steps you thought he was starting to take, you see him a little bit more in, in year four. Yeah, that's just it. You mentioned the point that I was going to bring up. Who's playing in front of you matters. And Buffalo's defensive line, especially on the interior, had their fair share of struggles this year. So that probably uh, led to some of those lapses in play that we saw, being a split second too late here. So the Bills can get some guys up front that, one, are, are taking on the blockers that lets the linebackers kind of roam, run free a little bit. If you can get some pass rushers that can get after the quarterback and, and – force some plays where maybe then the linebackers can make a play, whether that's intercepting the ball, getting their hands on the ball, whatever the case may be, it's all going to help. Uh, we're not trying to make excuses for Edmonds, but we, we've seen the flashes. We've seen the talent there. Now it's just about putting it all together. And I saw um, Edwin Elliott saying that the age is the same between White and, and uh, Edmonds. And I get that. But like Matt said, it's, you know, it's rare for a linebacker to come in and, and play at that type of speed with such success. So now you just have to make sure that those guys in front of Edmonds are stout, are improved, and, and can help him here uh, coming into the 2021 season. Lone Wolf on YouTube asks, if you bring back Milano, how are you going to afford a better D-line? And like I said, I, I don't think it's a it's a massive overhaul. I mean, if you're bringing Star Latula back, he's already on the books. That's a big piece of it, right? And then... Like I mentioned, you try to restructure Jerry Hughes. You could probably you can probably move on from it. Probably two of the three, if not all three, in terms of Vernon Butler, Quentin Jefferson, and Mario Addison. That's going to create a lot of room. I think you can move on from John Brown. I think you could probably restructure uh, Matt Milano. There's a lot of, or um, Mitch Morris. There's a lot of potential areas to find money. And I think for a team that's this close, that has built the kind of culture that they have, I think there's going to be some guys that are willing to maybe move things around a little bit to kind of accommodate the team more so than in, in any other year. I mean, they just won the Super Bowl and, and Bruce Arians said that Mike Evans came to him and said, Hey, if you need to take some money, take some money so we can run this back. And, you know, when you start to experience success, that changes the dynamic of what you're able to do as an organization when it comes to some of these, these contract negotiations. Uh, and Jerry Hughes to me is, is a prime example of somebody that, you know, could really open up some doors for them as they try to maybe go, go after a legitimate tag team partner for him. Yeah. You know, and, and that's what Tom Brady did all those years with the Patriots. He, he moved money around so that way they could build the roster and they could have those Super Bowl teams. 
Uh, and then, you know, finally, when there wasn't enough money to get him the help that he needed, he leaves for Tampa Bay. And now they have the success. You mentioned it. Mike Evans wants to keep the band together. He wants Chris Godwin back. He wants some of these key players back. Uh, you mentioned restructuring Mitch Morris. You could cut Mitch Morris with a uh, post-June 1st designation. Uh, there's even lower-end guys that we haven't really talked about. Lee Smith, someone who is considering retirement, as he told uh, Ramon Foster on, on a radio station here recently. If he does decide to play, the Bills could cut ties with him, and I believe it saves about $2.25 million, somewhere in that range. Tyler Medikevich. Uh, I thought was solid in his first year in Buffalo, especially in, on special teams. I think you can cut him and save a little over three. So, I, And obviously, these are plays you'd have to replace some way, shape, or form. So are you going to get someone cheaper that can take on those roles? That's what you would need to find. But there, there's players you can cut. There's players you can restructure. Um, we saw the Saints play kick the can for many, many years in the NFL with success, and now it's caught up to them. And, and you know, th there's no saving them this year. It's going to be... Uh, really interesting to see what they do, see what kind of players they might have to get rid of. Because even with Breeze going down to that bare minimum and saving them some money, they're still well in the hole right now because of the way that they have managed their money. But uh, And that is not what I'm saying Brandon Bean should do. But for one year, there's no doubt in my mind that he could free up enough money without too many long-term effects that will cost this team down the road uh, to address getting a Milano back maybe swapping in a Feliciano in place of Mitch Morris if you feel like he can play center and his year, his average contract, uh, you know, in terms of yearly average is a little bit less than Mitch Morris. There's things that he can do. And obviously, Brendan Bean has proven to be a very smart GM. So uh, I have no doubt that he's going to have some tricks up his sleeve, so to speak. It's amazing um, how many, and Stephen with a question, we'll get to that right after this um, before we get out of here. Um, and also, Trent Murphy is officially a free agent, so you don't have to cut Trent Murphy. He is no longer on the books, and uh, I'd imagine, you know, listen, I wouldn't be shocked if they if they come to some type of veteran minimum type of deal with him, bring him to training camp and see how it goes. Um, he's somebody that they they really like in the room. He was, uh, but I think if he can kind of command anything on the on the market, he's going to probably try to get one more payday if he can. Uh, so we'll see how that um, plays out. But I want to talk a little bit about the run game on both sides of the ball in the in the Super Bowl because and, and eventually that'll kind of um dovetail into what I want to talk about with the Bills and their run game because I'm writing about that for, for tomorrow. And you know, you saw a Tampa Bay team that stuck with the run that was able to move the chains and convert on third down. And I think that allowed them to keep the run game involved. I mean, if you go back and watch in the first half, they didn't break a lot of runs. I mean, there wasn't this like you know, Leonard Fournette wasn't out there just bashing him or, or, or Ronald Jones just out there, you know, breaking off big chunk runs, but they stuck with it. You know, they, they played the patient game. And I think over the, the course of the game, and obviously some of their playmakers made big plays and, you know, Tom Brady found them Gronkowski. It's funny, Ryan. I had a feeling, and I was talking to it with my father-in-law before the game. Like, this is the kind of game to me that we're going to see like a throwback with Brady and Gronkowski watch. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, doesn't it end up happening like that? Um, but I thought, you know, you look at the Chiefs. They've had some success running the ball this year. I mean, Clyde edwards Hilaire came out of the gate just absolutely on fire. They abandoned the run game completely. I mean, this looked like. When things have gone wrong for the Bills offense this year, you go back to the Titans game, the Chiefs game early in the season, and then the Chiefs game in the playoffs. 
it's almost like the script that happened in those games happened for this Chiefs team in the Super Bowl. And they 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 weren't able to run the ball, so they went away from it. Patrick Mahomes was running for his life behind a, an offensive line that underperformed. And, you know, that's how it kind of came to be. And you look ahead to next season and what the Bills can do. Yeah, you got to add on the offensive line. I think if you can get another piece, uh, depending on what you do with Daryl Williams, you get Cody Ford back. There's a lot of conversations to be had there. I'm pretty bullish still on Zach Moss. I mean, you go back, you do something, a little homework for Bill's Mafia this week. Go out and start reading some of these draft top 100, top 50. Read some of the running back reviews. You, you'll find Najee Harris pretty quickly. And you'll start to read about what his traits are. And then go back to last year. Put in 2020 NFL draft and read what everybody was writing about Zach Moss. And a lot of those traits that everybody wants in a running back I think that they have that on the roster in Zach Moss. It's just about his durability. If he does get a featured role, how does he handle that physically? And can he make it through an entire season? But I also, we talked about this too. I'm not ready to give up on Devin Singletary yet. I think that there's still a lot of talent here enough. So that I'm probably not in the camp of running back in round one, but I, I want to reserve final say on that for once we get really into draft season. <laughs> Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, a running back could far and away be the best player on the board at number 30. And if that is the case, Brendan Bean will probably pull the trigger because he has shown that he is best player available. He sticks by that and, and, he, and he comes through. But why? You know, if, if it's close with another player, why go that route? Not just because they have Zach Moss and Devin Singletary. But if you're going to be a pass-happy team, and they're not going to change their identity. I saw someone in the comments earlier in the show say, well, how'd that offense work out in the playoffs? Well, kind of the AFC Championship game, so pretty good. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I know love when Ryan gets, Super Bowl. But I love when Ryan gets real feisty and starts firing back at the commenters. Come on. <laughs> they made it to the championship game, and kudos to the Chiefs for, for playing four safeties and getting away with physicality they did not get away with in the Super Bowl. That. The refs are not the reason the Bills lost the championship game. But if they would have called some of those penalties that they called against Chiefs in the Super Bowl against, you know, in that championship, it could have changed the game a little bit in terms of how the receivers were able to release off the line, create that separation. You just never know. The Bills would have had to make some more plays, though. But this is a team that passes the ball. Najee Harris is a talented player, but if you're going to draft a player like that, you need to utilize them. Are they going to utilize him? I don't see that as a rookie. You'd still have him getting touches. You'd still have Zach Moss getting touches. Devin Singletary probably getting touches. And shame on those some of you in these comments. Christian Wade can actually make the roster for once, and you guys are abandoning him? You're abandoning Christian Wade? I have heard for years now. Uh... What about Christian Wade? I'm going to put something in my bio. Christian Wade can play in 2021, people. No, but, you know, in all seriousness, there is a guy named Antonio Williams that I think can play and can make some noise for this team. It wasn't just the running backs being ineffective. It was the blocking in front of them. It was the play calls. It was the lack of a player being able to get into a rhythm because they're splitting 17 reps, 9 and 8. There's a lot of factors that go into this. If the Bills can run the ball a little bit better and get some better blocking in front of them, yeah, that's going to make the offense even better, but this team put up, what, 500 points this year? They're not going to go away from that. Let's let's score 375 but run the ball better. Let's score 400 and run the ball. No. If you can score 500 points, score 500 points. That's my this is what I need you to do for next week when you come on the show. 
I need you to find some like a yellow highlighter, like a you know, just a tradition. You're you know, you know all about mm. highlighters. I know all about. Them. Take it to the top of your head and like literally go like this all across your head, so you have a kind of like a golden dome, mm -hmm. and so kind of like a golden domer. And what <laughs> I want you to do, and then is come on the show with your mock draft, your next version, and show it off to the people. And I guarantee you, the mock draft will match the dome because Ryan Talbot. Got the Bills another Notre Dame player in his latest mock draft. Wow. How are you feeling about it? You were excited to drop that one today. I was. I, I like this player. You, you can't go wrong with the Notre Dame offensive lineman, first of all. Don't draft a quarterback from Notre Dame. Don't draft a lot of other positions. You can do okay at wide receiver. But offensive line, you can't go wrong. Liam Eichenberger. Look, you'd have an Eichbacher and an Eichenberger. It, it would it would be great or Eichenberg I should say say I just threw er onto it because of Butker uh, Eichenberg so uh, great player out of the gate you know a lot of people say he could be a day one left tackle they don't need a left tackle in Buffalo they need a right tackle if Daryl Williams leaves and that's what you would have in Liam he can play right out of the gate uh, I, I love this comment that I read on the Draft Network it said great run blocker and when it came to pass protection they said yeah there's some room for improvement. But they said he was really good at protecting one of the most uh, unorthodox quarterbacks in college football, and Ian Book, who would just take off and run and would scramble around and would move around the pocket. Well, you know, that's kind of like Josh Allen. He moves around, he scrambles, he rolls to his right. Uh, Liam Eichenberg could be that guy for, for the Bills in uh, round one. And, and, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that with the whole Golden Dome. Uh, I'm going to be putting out this piece this weekend about, you know, being Bean, being Brendan Bean, and how I'd utilize my perfect offseason, not just the draft, but free agency. And one of my key free agents is a Notre Dame player. I didn't mean for it to happen, but it happened, and I'm not going to apologize for it. You never mean for it to happen. It happens naturally, and that's and why we love you. I mean, I still I have a missing piece of my heart still because I needed Chase Claypool to go to the Bills just for you so you can cover him and write about him. And you know, when, it, when he went to the Steelers, I know that was a tough day for you, but – uh, no, I like giving you a hard time. Ryan is a, a huge Notre Dame fan, but uh, that would be quite the value at that spot after trading down uh, if they were able to get him. Another guy I really like, I'm, I'm really starting to dive into. Uh, I can't really say anything about his about how he plays football, but Alex Leatherwood, love the name, big fan, would love to see uh, you know if, if the Bills, uh, if he's still hanging around. I don't think he will be. I've seen him mocked pretty early uh, in some, some early round drafts, but that's going to be an interesting piece of this too. Like, how are Brandon Bean and his staff going to go through this process of, you know, the no combine? So everything's done at the pro days. Everything's done on Zoom in terms of, you know, interviews and meeting players. And, you know, it's, oh, where's your draft, Ryan? It's a great question, Lone Wolf. We will put the, I'll put that, I'll link to that in the comment section on YouTube for you guys. Uh, but it's over at the site, NewYorkUpstateSyracuse.com. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out and and talking to Brandon after the draft and how this whole process differed from years past uh, is going to be interesting. I, I, for one, I mean, we'd be getting ready for the combine right now. And uh, that's been one of the cool, the really cool parts uh, of the job the last couple of years, getting a chance to get around a bunch of NFL people, players, um, or not so much players, but, you know, coaches, uh, front office executives and, um, you know, watching the players and, and talking to the players like, you know, that's that's a big piece of this that, you know, is missing. Uh, we'll see how that ends up happening for media, but uh, we will have you covered. So it'll be it'll be fun time. Final thoughts, Ryan. Let's let's get out of here on that. 
Yeah, final thoughts, just going back to what you were talking about, offensive tackle. This is a really deep draft at offensive tackle at the top. So if the Bills do let Daryl Williams leave as a free agent, I don't want to say let him leave, but if he gets a lucrative deal elsewhere based on his play, which he would, you know, he, he does deserve. He played very well this season. Find someone that could start in free agency, bring him in, sign him, you know, someone that's going to be a lower contract, but go into that draft and know that in the first two rounds, I think you could get a day one starter at right tackle. That's how deep this draft is. So with the Bills picking at the end of each of the first two rounds, I still think they could find a starter going all the way to the end of round two. It's a deep, deep draft. There's a lot of talented players. Leatherwood, though, Eichenberg, uh, two names that you might want to watch, whether it's at 30 or if they do trade back slightly. All right, that'll do it for this week. Uh, If you are watching on YouTube, thank you. We're we're growing this channel. We're going to get it really pumping over the course of the offseason. Please hit that subscribe button while you're here. And if you missed a part of the show, you want it in audio form, we're on Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Apple, all of the the different podcast platforms. Uh, Give us a subscription there and a rating review if you're feeling a little bit uh, extra uh, motivation if you like the show. And then we'll be back next week. We'll have a guest show next week as well. Um, we're, we're kind of playing with a couple different ideas. We had a fun, um, idea from one of the, uh, from, from a listener, uh, sending in, we're going to do GM Ryan versus GM Matt. And we're both going to put together our, uh, perfect or our ideal off season for the bills. And then we're both going to take turns, um, poking holes in it. And maybe if we do that next week, I may even bring in a special guest referee to judge the two, uh, GM off season. That'd be fun. I, I think I have somebody in mind that would do pretty well on that so uh for ryan talbot i am matt perino like i said get over to syracuse.com newyorkupstate.com go check out ryan's mock draft i'll have some stuff up on the site tomorrow and then next week big week for free agency next week so you're gonna want to be there all right guys have a great night and see you next time ready for football with every game a home game tops is ready for you with its tv a day giveaway for six weeks every day you shop is a new chance to win a massive 70 inch 4k tv shop tops for the best deals in town in store or online to win